We're Kyler and Cody McCormick, two brothers on a journey to pave our own path while chasing our passion. While building our adventure filmmaking brand, The Outbound Life, we've become sponsored by some of the top brands in the film and travel industries, acquired Fortune 500 clients, and have spoken on stages all across the country sharing our story. We now invite you along on our journey as we sit down with inspiring entrepreneurs, creators, and diverse thought leaders to discuss how to live a life we consider outbound, a life where you believe your story matters and live beyond your limits. Come along and live the outbound life. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you're having a good day out there. Today, we have quite the uh, quite the interesting character. Chris Romrell is somebody we're sitting down with today, and you just have to hear his bio to even believe that this is a real person. So having been punched in the face, thrown out of windows in some of Hollywood's most prevalent blockbusters in recent years, such as Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Creed II, Jurassic World, the list goes on, Chris Romrell doesn't exactly have the average day job. Chris is a six foot three, full-time life enjoyer who you might know as Star-Lord, Thor, or from being an American Ninja Warrior. Romrel is Chris Pratt's stunt double, and he's the closest thing to his clone who's alive that we're aware of. Chris most recently worked in London as Chris Pratt's stunt double in the upcoming Jurassic World 3 and was kind enough to sit down with us to chat today. Chris, what's going on, man? What's up, dudes? Good to see you guys again. Chris, thanks so much. Yeah, so good to see you. It's been some time. Yeah, it's, it, it's been a lot. Hey, it is uh, hard to keep up with you. You're just, you're always bouncing around new places and even tracking you down for this podcast. You you literally yeah. last week just got back from London, right? Yeah, so uh, I was London in London for uh, seven weeks for Jurassic wow. World 3. Gee. Wow. So I what is, I mean, I hate to... I feel like we always talk about COVID and I really don't want to talk about it, but I'm also very curious how Hollywood is handling COVID and the fact that, you know, I know, oh my gosh, so many movies have been pushed back, release dates, filming, oh, yeah. I'm sure it's all a wrench been thrown in it. But for you, you know, you're, you're, you're out shooting and uh, still making it happen. Like, how has that affected you? I'm very lucky to be, to be working, first of all. Uh, I count myself lucky, uh, but Jurassic World Three is one of the first shows to get up and running, you know, during the pandemic. Wow! I think most shows, you know, it's it's very expensive to get up and running. It's very expensive to to bow out. Like the whole movie making process is very expensive, and I think that Jurassic World Three was probably one of the only shows that was going at the time that had you know enough wherewithal to basically pull this together money wise and also just planning wise because you have all these different unions you know uh that that make up the 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 entertainment industry Mm -hmm. basically like so i personally belong to sag after the actors union right sure and they all each came up with their their own rules that uh, productions needed to follow if if they wanted their support and so you have to follow those rules. Plus you have the rules uh, of the UK government. Plus you have hmm. the production rules from Universal itself. And so basically what they decided to do was basically follow all those rules plus some. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so basically I get tested three times a week, you know, the nasal swab. Um, and do your results come back quickly? Because we got tested after a shoot and it came back 
14 days after we got tested, we were tested <laughs> negative, but it's literally pointless. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here, um, the test results come back pretty quickly. They, they have a whole team of doctors that literally they have hired and their only job is to work on the show. Yeah. Yeah. We're all temperature checked every day before work. Like we're probably the safest thing happening in the UK right now. If not the wow. world, it might be the safest place in the world. Yeah, this sounds I mean, like, I don't know, like TSA on steroids, right? And then I, I I only assume you you guys then go back to your hotel, whatever, and lock yourself up. Like, yeah, uh, what's yeah. that? What's that like? Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually, it's been a, a good experience and a hard experience, right? Yeah. But so I'm, I'm basically in a, in a bubble with uh, the, the main cast and, um, some of the producers and the director and stuff. And we're staying at this, this hotel. that's not too far from, um, I probably shouldn't be giving that information away. Fair. Yeah, but, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're staying at a we hotel. <laughs> we're staying at a hotel. It's a nice, nice hotel. And, uh, and basically, you know, we are there until we're working and then we come back from working and we go right there. And it's nice because, we've all bonded together. Yeah. You know, we go out, we have uh, dinner out on the little veranda. Yeah. You know, it's a very snooty kind of hotel. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, they have a veranda. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And it's, it's been nice to just get to know people and kind of connect with people more uh, intimately than I have on any other production. So mm. in that regard, it's very nice. Yeah. Like a, but, a really, uh, it's like an upscale version of summer camp, right? Yeah, it really is. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, I think it it's, it's interesting just like looking at headlines and yeah, so many different industries and obviously Hollywood, it's like, yeah, how do you put people together when we're trying to stay apart and all that stuff that that's really interesting. I think like Chris, looking back, you know, even starting this podcast and, you know, just thinking about all of these random characters we've gotten to know or had met over the years, you came to mind. And uh, I think we met about just over six years ago. And it was on a film set in Chicago, which is where Cody and I are from. You know, looking back, we actually weren't supposed to be on that film set. And there's kind of this really random story to us getting there that I'm not even sure if you know. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of share that. It all started with, so the YouTuber Devin Supertramp, who we know you've done a lot of work with. And for the people at home who don't know him, this big adventure filmmaker who's done all these viral videos with world's biggest rope swing or let's say Assassin's Creed in real life. Anyway, this guy, especially starting out in our career, he was our hero. And uh, it's not every day that Devin is in your own town. He's typically in Dubai yeah. and Paris, you know, whatever. And here he's coming to Chicago. World traveler. World traveler. Yeah, he, he too doesn't have the average day job. And uh, so anyways, he ends up posting, I, I think, you know, on, on Instagram, here's this casting call for, you know, it was super secret. We don't know what it is, but it's gonna be in Chicago. Here's the here's the times it's gonna be at. It's gonna be nine o'clock to 2 a.m. And then we're gonna pause and then continue these nocturnal shooting schedules, of course. So anyways, of course we fill out this casting call, but the problem was the day, the, the shooting day came and we hadn't heard back. And of course we're just like, ah, he's so close yet so far away. So at some point in the day, we kind of decide, let's just pull the trigger. Let's get a few friends together, you know, load up their Jeep and let's literally just drive downtown 
and basically stalk this guy. <laughs> like we're not gonna. Yeah, yeah. This you is know? see. I feel like Chris is the kind of guy that probably has some of these stories as well. Yeah, I do. I have some of those. This is like classic. You know, like 2014 social media prime. Like searching hashtags. Like where's this guy gonna pop up? And then I think like we're, we're literally you know hunting through Instagram searching the hashtags that are maybe associated with the shoot and some some fan had posted a photo and again this is not like a photo at the mcdonald's on the corner of this and this this was like a photo where if you screenshot it and you zoom in you see the little you know it's a sign that looks like this and we're like huh is that that building yeah is it it's, that it's building? like a selfie in front of some random cafe and we're like and again granted we're, we're on the highway we're probably at least halfway there with no direction yet but we're like uh there this bistro that's where we're headed and then so sure enough we show up like cody i don't know it's probably nine ten o'clock right totally it's late yeah and i mean at this point it's kind of like you know half the half the group they're still in the jeep you know maybe send a person or two out to do a little recon mission and, and is this going on can, can you just like walk up like what's what's the deal and sure enough yeah Devin and, and parker and, and the team there they're wrapping up this scene in this like restaurant or this bar and it's kind of like slowly you start kind of inching forward. It's like, you know, Cody and I, we had met these guys maybe a year or two before on, on yeah. some Mountain Dew video in like Ohio. But they didn't really know us. No, they, they didn't probably know us. didn't want us there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> and sure enough, like to cut to the chase, I mean, we end up like, sure enough, we start talking to these guys and they're really cool. And, you know, before you know it, Devin's giving you his $50,000 camera to carry. And he's like, hey, try this out. Like, check out this new lens. And anyway the night goes by and here we are we're just hanging out on set and he's like do you guys you know we need some more extras do you guys have a car well here we're doing this like this cop you know chase scene where where the you know the the bad guys are on the loose whatever yeah we could use your jeep if, if you're down and so here we are i i forget the particular street but it's this street in chicago blocked off through the night that they shot i think some scenes from the dark night on like i yeah. think it's like i mean you would probably know better than me so here we are and just kind of like hanging with, uh, yeah, talking with these people. And sure enough, here's this tall guy who's dressed up and he's got the leather on and is this guy who's doing the stunts. And, and that's where we met you. Yeah. And there begins the story. And there and there begins the story. So you were on that set doing, I mean, you were doing all the stunts. Like at the time we meet this guy and you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm jumping off these. Oh, he just, I think it was, and I, I, I watched your stunt demo reel. And I saw this exact scene where you like cleared this huge gap from building to building. Yeah. That and high up, we're talking high up, like don't mess this up or like <laughs> families getting bad calls kind of thing. Do you remember that, <laughs> that exact stunt? Yeah, I do. That was a, that was a good time in Chicago. I love Chicago. And <laughs> I remember that gap fondly. <laughs> yeah. By the way. So this was uh it, it was with uh, Ubisoft, right, for the, for the Watch Dogs yeah. video game. And you were, I don't know, the, the watchdog. You were the bad guy. Is that is that how that worked? Yeah, so I was uh, I was Aiden Pierce, right, from Aiden Watch Dogs. Pierce. He was like mm. the original guy from Watch Dogs. And uh, at the time, it was interesting, too, because I had done Sam Fisher for Ubisoft, mm. like another Ubisoft video. I had done that one. Is that, uh, is that done, like, like Splinter? Assassin's Creed video. Is that Splinter Cell, that first one? Yeah, Splinter Cell. Okay, I'm not like much of a gamer, right. but I like, yeah, I recognize that name. Yeah. And uh, and working with Devin, I mean, he really gave me my start mm. uh, in wow. a lot of ways. Like, I mean, I owe Devin so freaking much. He's Him and his team are the nicest bunch of people. 
and just hmm. so much fun to work with. Like still to this day, best, best team ever. Like wow. if I had a chance to work with them again, I would take it in a heartbeat yeah. all the time. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So, so you're on this set doing stunts. And I think the obvious question is kind of like, well, how do you get into being a stunt person? Like as a child, were you climbing on things? Do you remember as a kid? I feel like a lot of times people that really grow up into a a passion zone that they love have these early childhood memories of like, Hey, when I was, you know, I really love doing this. And then if you can turn that into your actual career, like how awesome is that? Do you have those kinds of memories on that journey? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, even some of my earliest memories, um, being in kindergarten, hmm. like, I loved just being king of the jungle gym, you know, <laughs> being able to move through it and over it and climb up to the highest point as fast as possible. Um, and then I, I got into karate when I was kind of in middle school. Oh, cool. Dragon Ball Z and Jackie Chan movies influenced me, like, I need to do karate. So I got into karate, met some of my best friends there. We started making our own fight scenes with like a high eight camcorder. And, um, Ooh, excuse me. We basically started doing that. And, uh, and we would practice falls. We would celebrate Jackie Chan's birthday by throwing ourselves (laughs) off of my friend's deck. Like that's that's, that's an amazing holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I loved it from very young age and uh, I'm just very lucky to be able to do it now as a job so when you were like a kid and you're like i gotta be the king of the hill what was that like with with like your parents or teachers were they always like ah oh, this kid chris because your mom getting calls like he's he's up in a tree again or, or was it cool like like what was going on there i mean i thought it was cool yeah. uh, i don't know that anybody else thought it was cool right uh i mean parkour like doesn't really make you cool in school it's not something like yeah i do parkour and everybody's like whoa that guy's so cool that guy has lots of friends you know (laughs) um at least it wasn't back in the day it was it was very lame to do parkour but i didn't know that i thought it was awesome yeah and uh yeah i mean i was just i didn't really think much about it i i'd have to ask my mom actually I don't think she got many calls. Well, yeah, no, that's we'll have not to, true. I got in trouble we'll a lot. I got some trespassing tickets for like being on the school roof and jumping gaps and doing stuff. Oh so, man. Now, that's intense. You know. See, I feel like see, I feel like I had similar aspirations in life to, you know, jump off things, do all those things. And yet I am definitely not a stunt double or stunt what yeah, like that's that's not the path I'm on. But I will say Though I wasn't jumping off these buildings and doing these sketchy things, we did go through a phase where it was kind of the cool thing to go urban exploring or urban climbing, as we would say. Yeah, yeah. Not sure really how much we should be talking about this, but we did find ourselves on, you know, some big public buildings high up, leaning off ledges, school built, you know, probably some things that I wouldn't necessarily want the whole world to know about. Um, that's why we're going to keep it a little bit under wraps here. Yeah. But <laughs> I think you as a parkour kid probably would have been my idol back then. <laughs> oh man, we did. I mean, as we got older, uh, yeah, we started climbing bigger buildings and stuff. And I, uh, I still, I think I have a, at least one cease and desist order uh, <laughs> from one building in, in Salt Lake city that we climbed uh, and my buddy Ronnie, who's also a YouTuber, had filmed yeah. it and he put it up on his channel, and yeah, that got 
that got us in a lot of trouble. But yeah. Hey, I mean, honestly, how else would you have found yourself in Hollywood doing this stuff? Like you got, eh, I don't know. Yeah, at least to one yeah, cease and desist order is necessary. So yeah. did you always live in Utah? Like, did you grow up there as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much grew up in, in Utah um, and, and basically didn't move out of Utah until I got hired on Avengers. That's amazing. Uh, Infinity War. Yeah. So So clearly overnight success, like... Yes, you know, clearly it was like success. one day you were just practicing a little and then Avengers calls. That's, you know, that's how it happens for most people. You just wish for something mm-hmm. and then it just happens to you. Like you don't have to do anything. Yeah. That's beautiful. So should, we, a little should we just end, that it, end it there? That's the moral of the story, right? Just keep <laughs> sitting, waiting, wishing it'll happen. Yeah. All right. So clearly that's not what happened. What t- talk, talk to us a little bit about what that transition was like. So you're getting in probably more YouTube videos and, and learning a lot more. You're part of a stunt team. Yeah. Basically my friends and I, we, um, we knew we wanted to pursue film. Uh, and we basically started out as grips, basically just moving lights around, um, getting, paid nothing we just wanted the experience you know on student films on like really low budget no budget things yeah and uh and then we kind of realized like you know what we really want to do is stunts like i just want to jump on things and there was no stunt industry there was no action movies being filmed in utah i mean i think a lot of it was that they just didn't have those resources they didn't know any Mm. stunt people they didn't know anybody that could help them with their their action or whatever and so we decided all right we're going to be stunt people now. So we, we quit doing, uh, we quit doing grip work at all. Like just didn't take any, any of those jobs. And we just basically told people, ah, we're stunt people now, you know, it's kind of that fake it till you make it mentality. And, uh, I mean, we had martial arts experience. We'd been training fight choreography, um, you know, since we were little kids, um, and training falls and stuff. So we had a fair bit of like, our own experience, you know, but not actual professional experience in that realm. So we started again back at at zero student films, Mm -hmm. you know, low budget, no budget things and like worked our way up. You know, we were making hundred dollars a day, $150 a day, which was, it was was cool. Right. And, um, and just kind of built up a reputation of, of being able to, to do these stunts and, and add value to productions. And so over time, people basically came to us like, Hey, we want to do the shootout scene. What do you guys want to do? And we could go into the space and basically design it however we wanted. Like, cool. oh man, I want to, I want to fall off that thing over there. And they'd hmm. be like, sweet. I want to fall down those stairs. I want to get shot and, you know, go flying that <laughs> way into this wall and shatter this glass. We're like, yeah, cool. <laughs> and so basically we could come up with whatever we wanted. And, and, uh, in that way we were able to build up a really good, uh, reel, like stunt reel. Yeah. And, um, to this at this point like i just didn't think that it was going to be a viable option for me long term i thought at hmm. some point i'm gonna have to settle down get a real job and just hate the rest of my life yeah i was going to school at the same time um i had another job uh and uh and so i just kind of this is going to be fun while it lasts yeah yeah and then my buddy he got uh, a job he got hired to go to new york and work on the first season of iron fist oh cool and that was kind of like a big moment for me i mean i guess i guess we are marketable somewhere else like we didn't know Gee. anybody in the real industry yeah like we knew a lot of people in like the local utah um filmmaking industry you know they were making 
stuff for like foreign markets or whatever, but nobody that like actually worked in Hollywood. Right. Right. Um, and so once my buddy got that, it was kind of like, Whoa, we could do this. And then also during this time, like I had gotten married. Hmm. Um, I was living in my parents' basement. Uh, I was going to school. We were surviving off of like $1,600 a month. Yeah. And basically I knew that I needed to take the safety net out and I needed Mm. to, to basically commit to this full time. Mm. And so I quit my, my normal job. Um, so we're basically making zero Yeah, and I would just treat it like my job to get hired on, on stunts. So I would train four hours a day and then I would come home and I would write emails and I would do my schoolwork or whatever. Wow. And my, my wife got pregnant like right after we were married. Wow. And so yeah. as she's getting more and more Pressure's pregnant. She's on. like, yeah, we're living in my parents' basement. She's like, mm, what are you going to get a real job? You know? Yeah. Totally. And uh, at some point, like I just knew that I was going to double Chris Pratt. I had no no way to know this. When I tell people this this part of the story, like they don't believe it. But first, a word about our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Rode Microphones, the Australian pro audio powerhouse making incredible gear for podcasters, vloggers, filmmakers, musicians, and audio engineers. But like, wow. like, I was just praying and praying and praying. Yeah. And I, it was like my anxiety was just ratcheting and ratcheting yeah. and ratcheting up. And, uh, and all of a sudden, like, I just had this, I woke up one day with this instant knowledge, like I, I was going to double Chris Pratt. Whoa, like, that's right. insane. And so then, like, from then on, I had no anxiety about it. And wow. my wife wow. was, I could, I didn't tell my wife because I was like, yeah, I was uh, like, I might be crazy. crazy. Yeah, I might, I might be, be crazy, yeah. but I don't think I am, but definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so I was just training, and I was going, and she's getting more and more pregnant. And all of a sudden, like, uh, one day I, I get a call, and, um, there's a guy named Winged English. And uh, he says, hi, is this Chris Romero? I said, yeah. And he said, hi, I'm Winged English. I'm uh, Philip Silvera's assistant on Deadpool 2. Wow. Um, and we were we saw your reel. And we're wondering, you know, we, we were looking at you as potentially doubling Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool 2. And I was like, gee, oh, heck yeah. okay, I'm yeah. listening. Yeah. And so they had me put together some some fight stuff um that i did with my friends and i sent it in and i never heard back um i think there was a change of directors Hmm. which also made it so that there was a change of stunt coordinator so uh, i never heard back from them but it was kind of like a sign like okay i'm going in the right direction. someone is seeing what you're doing yeah you're putting this out and someone's picking it up right um so apparently my stunt reel had been making some rounds and i think it's it's for me, I'm very lucky because I'm a 6'3 dude. I'm 230 now, and I can do flips. And so that's something of a rarity. And so my, my reel got shared around, and people were like, oh, we can use them for this and this and this. Do you have and, any uh, uh, practical life advice on that for anybody who really wants to be 6'3, but they're just not quite there yet? <laughs> have you done the stretching table? Do your stretches, yeah. When I was younger, I tried, I really, I like, I would stretch myself out on the bed, like hold the headboard and then try to like pull my legs as far down as possible. <laughs> See, this probably works. This is probably very practical information. I mean, I also ate like a dump truck, so. 
or just whatever was there, I'd shovel it in. So, I mean, that probably helped. Um, but yeah, and then uh, let's see here. Oh, I got a screenshot uh, from a friend uh-huh. and it was for a Facebook group that I couldn't join. There was there's basically you needed 25 recommendations from like known stunt people in the, the industry to be able to get to be a part of this group. And I, I wasn't a part of this group, but my friend somehow found this screenshot and it was uh, a lady named Moni Ganderton. She was looking for a 6'3 stunt person who could do Hong Kong style fight choreography. And I was like, hey, ah, back to the Jackie deal. Chan yeah, days. Yeah. Like, I've been celebrating his holiday for how many years? Like, let's do it. Yeah. So uh, I had like five minutes to submit an email and I, I, I put together an email. I put my reel in there. I sent it off and I wasn't expecting much back. And then I got an email back from her, like I think uh, within a week. And she said, hey, your stuff looks great. Uh, you just look too young for what we're doing right now. Uh, mm-hmm. But stay in touch. We might be able to use you for the next one. And uh, and so I was like, oh, that's uh, an actual reply. <laughs> like usually when they blow you off, they just, they don't reply. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to keep in touch. So I would send them videos, you know, every so often. Sometimes I'd get replies, sometimes not. And then she started emailing me back, like with very specific hmm. uh, questions. Like, hey, do you have any videos of you doing this kind of fight choreography? Hmm. And so I would call my friends like, guys, uh, meet today and let's do uh, this kind of fight. Yeah, I have exactly that, kind of that. Funny you ask. Yeah. yeah. And then I would send it in like the next day. And then she's like, hey, do you have any videos of you doing like this kind of wire work? And so I would call my friends again, like, Whoa, guys, let's get together. And like midnight, we'd go to a gym and do some wire work and I'd send it the next day. And uh, and then she sent me an email and she said, hey, can you make it to a fitting at 12 o'clock uh, tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And she sent me the address and it was in LA and I never told them up to this point that I was in Utah. <laughs> I just no hiccups. I didn't want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. any You're reason like, yeah, for them. Of course to I live in LA. Yeah. Yeah. So I've just been like, yeah, I can be there tomorrow at noon and keep in mind, I'm super poor at this time. Um, my, I have like a 1993 Azuzu rodeo. That's like, Oh my God. Barely running. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, convinced my mom to let me use her car and I drive all through the night uh, to get there. I sleep on my friend's couch for two hours. And in the morning, I, uh, I head to the address and it's this nondescript warehouse. Yep. Yeah. And they have like three different layers of security. There's like a big gate that like they have to buzz me in. I get there, I get to the front door. I have to look at the camera. I have to state my name and my business. Oh my God. And then they let me in. And when I get in there, all of a sudden I see all the Marvel stuff all over the walls, you know, like pictures of costumes and things. And like someone leads me back into the back. Wow. And Did you sign anything before this... going into this? No. <laughs> so you're just, yeah, you're in, you're this like, is just, this yep, is literally this is just a trial, trial, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so they lead me into the back and they start putting me in the star Lord stuff. <laughs> and like, this is Chris Pratt's actual movie stuff from guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. So probably uh, as it's sent all over two, it, you're like, Oh, yeah, I was like, oh, oh yeah, whoa, <laughs> um, but <laughs> exactly it fit what I thought. perfectly. Yeah, it fit perfectly. And like wow. all the costume ladies were like, oh my gosh, it fits perfectly. You don't have to do any alterations or anything. I was like, oh, oh my that's God. a good sign. And, uh, and so that was the first time I learned that I wouldn't like, like that they were considering me to double 
Star Lord on Avengers. Gee. And uh, like I was just on a high that whole week, and I I wow. got a call from an actual call from Monique this time. Hmm. Um, and she said, Hey, can you be out here January 3rd? I still remember the date. Hmm. You'd be out here January 3rd huh. to start work on Avengers Infinity War. And I was like, Yes. Wow. That's when I moved to Atlanta. And nobody ever told me, it's kind of a side note, nobody ever told me how long I was gonna be in Atlanta. And I thought Star Lord was kind of a piece of a puzzle here. So uh-huh. I'd be in and out sure. maybe a couple days here, a couple days there. Yeah. But I ended up staying on a whole year. So I wow, became wow. part of the core team where like I worked five days a week for a, a complete year straight on Avengers. Infinity what year was this Endgame. that you moved out? Uh, 2017. And then we did reshoots in 2018. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and Monique is like, uh, Monique Ganderton was the, the assistant stunt coordinator on Infinity War. She was the stunt coordinator on Endgame. Uh, her and wow. Sam Hargrave both, I just, I owe so much to. They took a big chance on me, taking me out from Utah, just completely untested and and putting me on one of the best fight teams I've ever seen assembled anywhere. Wow. wow. So it was a really cool experience. And this, I mean, back up, we're hearing this starts by one, you putting out content, you and your friends investing in like, showing what you can do you're you have this interest Two, you defined a job <laughs> calling yourselves stunt guys that wasn't defined back then three like you get this initial email and you keep pinging this lady and getting your foot in the door so i think like yeah. tyler and i we see that a lot like even even for us you know a couple of years ago we started putting the title on things of like we're adventure filmmakers because like we had this big interest in like we want to be pulled more in the adventure space and doing that. Yeah. And oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many jobs we've gotten in the adventure space because of that. Like we define oh, that. Sure. We're like, yeah. that's exactly what we're doing. So people picked up on that. And then you getting your foot in the door with communications with the right people. Like that is huge. So pursuing the right connections is something that you never know. Even if you don't hear back at first, keep, keep reaching out, be that For squeaky sure. wheel. And we've seen that payoff so many times as well that it's like, Hey, once someone responds, even though it's like a no at first, that they're, they're talking to you, which means next time you do have something more engaging or the right fit. It's like, they're already in a communication and you're not just that random person. So that, that was so yeah. cool to see yeah. how those things added up. And then you find yourself in the, the star Lord, you know, costume and that day must've just been unreal for you. It was so great. And I think you're right. Like, I mean, it really is. It's just, I mean, we had developed the skills for years. Um, we, we went out and we, we looked for opportunities, made opportunities to do it on a low end and just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And I think that, you know, people will, will, will believe what you say until you prove them wrong, you know? So we said we're stunt mm, yeah. people, hmm. you know, and we kept, we kept getting stunt work because we could back it up. Right. Yeah. Like, be, like the first people that started hiring us, like they had no idea. Right. Uh, we just said, we're stunt people. And I'm like, sure. want to go fall down over there, you know? And, and that got us in the door and then being able to back it up and have a good reputation of working with people and um, delivering quality stuff. 
you know, really got us rolling and, and got us a lot of word of mouth and a lot of opportunities that we wouldn't have had. So, so fake it till you make it like that seems to work if and only your work ethic matches your ambition, right? It's like you can talk 100%, this big game, but 100%. you were the guys out there. They would say this, you'd go out in your backyard or to the yeah. city, film it, boom, you're doing it. Like I, uh, Richard Branson has this quote, something along the lines. It's like, if someone offers you an amazing opportunity and you're not sure you can do it, say yes, figure out how to do it later, right? I think a lot of people, yes. maybe it's like, well, no, that's that's not on my resume currently, but I think it, it's cool hearing that ambition and, and create like I got goosebumps when I heard that you actually like you had prayed and and you like envisioned like I'm going to be Chris Pratt's stunt double. Like I had never heard that. That's that's amazing. Um, and, and I'm even yeah. curious, taking this story a little further. So you had, had moved to Atlanta. And, and so here we are, you know, day one set on Infinity War. This is happening like, do you remember what that was like for you to actually walk into this place? And like, did it sink in? Did it not even feel like real life? What, what was what was that like? Um, I mean, it's it's just humbling, right? Because like yeah. everybody on the team was somebody that I had been following for years on social media. You know, mm -hmm. these are people that I looked up to. Yeah, like absolutely amazing stunt performers. Uh, just total. Just amazing, amazing performers. And, and so when I walked in, um, it was almost like imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Like, yep. I, I don't belong here. Right. Yeah. But I think that was, that was good for me because it, it kept me very humble, you know, like throughout the whole process, like I was just grateful to be there every day that I got to be there. Um, and get to work with all these amazing people that could just teach me so much. You know, I think that if I came in and I had this feeling like, Oh yeah, I'm as good as you guys, I might not have learned as much. I might not have gained as much mm. experience. I might not have been able to capitalize on that experience as well as I did. So do you think I like, like that, Oh, sorry, Cody, go for it. I was going to say, I like that perspective of humility of just that. I mean, I find the same thing is like, that's the, the biggest opportunity for growth is when you put yourself yeah, it's like we're not owed anything. We don't even as hard as we've all worked maybe for something like it's not we can't be entitled about it. And I, I love even hearing that from you. And you've had some incredible success and some of these incredible opportunities. And because your work ethic has matched that and because you've kept a humble attitude towards it, these people keep welcoming you back and want you a part of the team. Cause it's probably a very enjoyable experience. I feel like that's, that's a large part of my, my success and being able to work as much as I do mm -hmm. um, is just being able to, I don't know, just fit in with people and, and help and not have an ego about it. Cause I just feel like there's so many people that would want this job. There's no, so many people that want to work in the entertainment industry. Um, and to get an ego or to be an a-hole about it, like yeah. Yeah. to develop some bad habits or something like there's any number of people could step in and probably do a better job than you. Like you have such an opportunity, like don't lose it. Yeah. And that's how I feel every time I'm on a shoot on a show. That's cool. And like, so when you think about your journey there and, and all these years of working with like, let's say YouTubers like Devin Supertramp and local Utah filmmakers, and, and you really learn this real like 
all these skills of like being adaptable, of being just like really nimble, running gun, like things are always going wrong. You guys are always figuring it out. How much of that do you think came with you to now like these major sets? Like, is that the big lesson? Is that the big thing you think? You, all of it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many, I mean, everything, okay. Giant movies are just YouTube videos with a lot more money. Yeah. Huh. They yeah. have a lot more money to spend, so they have a lot more crew members to get involved with different aspects, you know. Like, the guy that runs the camera isn't the dude that changes the lenses. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, they, yeah, go figure. He's not paid roles, enough. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so they just have... They have more expensive script. They have um, more expensive, you know, lighting. They have more expensive uh, costumes and, and, and actors and things. Um but it's, it's essentially the same. It's all the same process. And I brought all that stuff with me because I've been able to shoot and edit and uh, direct and understand camera angles and understand kind of the limitations of, of filming and, and, and all that stuff. And that helps you so much to be able to talk to different departments as a stunt person, to be able to solve problems before they even come up, you yeah, know, like, yeah. To know, like, when you're shooting a, a fight previs, you know, it's a it's the viz that you're going to show the director. Hmm. Um, like, there's certain camera angles, certain things that you can't do because you know on the day they're going to be shooting it on a techno crane or they're going to be, hmm. they can only mm -hmm. show this part of the set. They don't want to show this part. Mm -hmm. Or that the actor, you know, like, there's so many, so many benefits of being able to know every department. And I don't think that you can know every department on a big set. Like if you started on big sets, you would never get that experience. So starting on small sets, I think is an insane asset yeah. to have. It's just absolutely vital um, if you want to, I don't know, excel, I should say. Yeah. What, what's been the most surprising thing making that transition into you know, sets as big as they get, what has been that most surprising thing to you that you weren't expecting? The most surprising thing is, uh, the money is better, <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. It's not as fun. Oh, interesting. Huh? It's like when you're like, all you're boxed off, everyone's siloed and it's not as collaborative maybe. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still love the job. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, my, secret is that i would do it for free no matter what mm. uh so the fact we'll that cut i get that paid out. is just a bonus you know yeah uh but the uh i mean i can't do it for free i got a family now um, yeah yeah exactly on like youtube videos and um and just smaller budget things like you get to wear so many more hats you get to be yeah. more part of the process it's more collaborative it's more it's more intimate like you're just out there with your friends making something you know and you feel more attached to the end result, you know, whereas when Endgame came out, like I, I enjoyed it, you know, mm -hmm. but I was just a, a small piece of a much larger puzzle. Whereas like, you know, one of Devin's videos comes out that I got to help on or something. I feel much more pride in that. I'm like, yeah, I was. You right. Know, you may have I made that suggestion. We made this, and, and so you know? we did this instead of that, or you, you can kind of yeah. see your own like skin in that game. And I, that's interesting. Cause that that's such a funny pattern we see with people who whatever whatever game they're playing they're playing at the top level versus their their path to that level it's like there's this really unique thing ha that happens when your back is against the wall when it's like 
we don't even have a permit to film here. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And so that's part of the that's part of the game. And because of that, the creativity that comes and you end up with this thing that's like it's an extension of you. Now, speaking of like <laughs> being an extension of you and, and, and this is just something that's so unique to, well, quite frankly, only you in the world right now. But you and Chris Pratt have this really. Uh, unique relationship by nature, right? There's no one else in the world who at this moment is basically this like clone of him, right? <laughs> so it's weird, right? Like, so I'm kind of curious, like what's it been like getting to know him and then even like embodying him, right? Is is there like something mentally you do for Chris Romrell to become Chris Pratt? What's, what is that like? Um, It's actually pretty... Uh, it's pretty uncanny. I mean, I wish that I could see a third person version of it so I can see what yeah. other people are seeing, but I get comments constantly about how much alike we are. Wow. Like, uh, voice mannerisms, just everything. Like people will come up to me and they'll be like, Oh, Chris. And then I'll turn around. They'll look me in the face. Like, Oh, I'm sorry, wrong <laughs> it happens yeah. all the time. They'll do it to him that too. So funny. Yeah. Like, um, on our last movie, the the I became good friends with the the construction manager hmm, yeah. for the the guy building sets, and I talked to him many times. Always out of costume, usually, but this one time I was in costume, and uh, he comes up to me, and uh, and he he looks at me straight in the face, and he's like, you know, your stunt double, he uh, he uh, taught my friend how to do a or taught my son how to do a flip the other day at, a, at the gymnastics gym. I thought that was pretty cool of him. And I'm like looking at him in the face. I'm like, and he's like sitting there talking to me. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm Chris Romro. And he's like, Oh dude. Whoa. I thought you were the other Chris. Like <laughs> that I is know so this awkward. Guy. I love it. You know, you, and you your should, names so, are Chris, right? You're both Chris. Like, how does that Chris. happen? I, I think you should have like kept playing it up. Like, yeah, in fact, that guy sounds yeah. so good. How much are they paying him? Is that promotion going to happen? Like, that's, <laughs> Is yeah. there another instance of like when someone walks up and is like, Yo, Chris Pratt, like this and that. Have you ever gone along with it? No, I mean, because usually oh, by the time <laughs> they've already gotten it out, they've kind of seen me. Like, I don't have the same swagger that he does. You know? uh, yeah, I yeah. I got, on this, it. I got this goofy face and he's got complete, you know, A-list movie action star going on. So uh, they they just feel the sparkle. There's less sparkle there. Less sparkle. Um, got to keep working on that know. sparkle. You know, something uh, that, that that's so fascinating. I mean, what what that that is just so interesting. And it, it's funny. I love how you talk about. So you came from these very humble beginnings. You're wearing all the hats. You're editing. You're even directing or you're you know, you probably know how the cameras work, all this stuff. And then because you're doing that, you have this unique advantage of if you kind of thinking through how the editor is going to use this, you might, you know, go into your role a little differently because because you're thinking through their perspective. Um now, an interesting uh, perspective is that of, I don't know, like a, a stunt coordinator, a, a stunt double, all these things. And something I want to hear specifically about is uh, a relationship you've had uh, for years, like going through the Avengers movies and, and then to this day. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship with Sam Hargrave over the years? And, you know, even more recently, I, I know you got to work with him on the Netflix movie he directed, uh, Extraction. Uh, can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Uh, I am a big fan of Sam, uh, both as a stunt performer. Uh, I'm a fan of his as a stunt coordinator and as a director. Like, 
Hmm. I I never got to work with him when he was a stunt performer, hmm. but even to this day, like he is, uh, he's willing to throw down, and he is an incredible performer. So I mean, already having that respect from him, I I'd never met him in that uh, regard. But when I came on to Avengers, uh, he was the stunt coordinator, and I thought that he handled things just so well. Huh. Uh, from the way that he talked to the different departments and the way that he managed the team and the way that he just trusted the people that he put in 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 place. Like he had a fight coordinator, uh, well, two fight coordinators on the show. Um, and like, basically, he, he would just trust us implicitly. Like he, he basically had faith in who he hired. Um, hmm. And I just I just thought that the way he handled things was amazing. And then to be hired on for extraction was also just really cool to see him in his directorial debut, hmm. you know, cause we had become friends um, on Avengers and to just be able to see him kind of use his talents in, as a, in a director's chair was really cool to see him like uh, direct and, and, and handle a movie. And it just seemed like if he was under stress, I never saw it. Well, wow. like this is a, his first movie, you know, uh, has Chris Hemsworth, bigger budget, you know, lots of pressure. And I, I, if he was under, if he was feeling the pressure, I never saw it. He just wow. handled everything so gracefully. Gee. Um, so big fan. So how, fan how does, so stunt coordinator, stunt performer turn director, how does somebody like this direct? Like what are some things that of everybody you've worked with? I'm curious what that perspective is like now as a director. What do you see him doing that you don't see any other directors doing? Um, so the same thing that Chad Stahelski and Dave Leach are doing, you know, Chad Stahelski, he did uh, John Wick, hmm. right? Him and Dave Leach both did John Wick. Dave Leach did uh, Deadpool 2. He did the uh, Hobbs vs. Shaw or Hobbs and Shaw, mm -hmm. the Fast Furious mm -hmm. spinoff. Um Basically, these guys, they have gone their whole careers basically focused on action. And one thing that uh, Chad and Dave and Sam all have in common is they came from a stunt group called 8711, which basically pioneered a different way of doing things um, for action for movies and, and basically made it standard almost in the industry for stunt teams to film a previs of a fight. So basically mm. a mock-up of how the fight would look complete with camera angles and the editing of those angles and uh, gotcha. interesting know, crude sound effects and all that. Um, and so they have such a keen understanding of the dialogue of action on screen that I think it's so much easier for them to put together an action sequence. Right. Um, you know, you see a lot of filmmakers, they want to, do a fight scene the traditional way they want to do a master shot they want to do the overs and then they want to get coverage mm -hmm. and it's absolutely the worst possible way to shoot an action scene 100 mm, hands down the worst because a master shot like unless your choreography is really simple which it just is not nowadays yeah uh you're gonna either wear your actors out or your stunt performers out and they're gonna get sloppy things are going to get messy and you're never going to use that whole shot anyway. So why gotcha. do it? If you're mm. planning on cutting, go to the cuts and then you get the overs and 
if you give an editor that doesn't have experience making fight scenes, you know, put, cutting together good fight scenes, especially like kind of a Hong Kong style action mm-hmm. fight scene together, mm-hmm. if you give him that much coverage, he's going to use it all. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get choppy and going to suffer. So mm-hmm. basically a lot of what you see now in modern action movies is, is you shoot to edit, you shoot for the edit. So in the previs, it's basically, it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint to give the director of this is how the fight is done. Mm-hmm. And the camera is choreographed with the action. Mm. So, and so are the edit points. So you give that to a director and the director can expand on it. The director can change it completely. It's really up to them, but it's, it's basically a mock-up, a blueprint of what the stunt team feels like would be uh, the best use of that action. Um, and so Sam Hargrave, he knows that intuitively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, I remember watching when, when Extraction came out, uh, I, I had it on my calendar. I was like, gotta, gotta watch Chris's new, uh, new performance here. And it was, yeah, it was intense. You guys had some in, just crazy uh, fight scenes. And for anyone yeah. that hasn't seen it, definitely check it out. It's still on Netflix, right? I'm yeah, sure it's still on Netflix. Yeah. And I give um, credit for the fight scenes. Uh, I mean, Sam was the director. He's, you know, ultimately responsible, but Michael Lair was our fight coordinator. Hmm. And absolutely amazing working with him. And he had such a cool vision and way of thinking about things and way of putting things together. Um, so he was the one basically shooting the previs to give cool. to Sam cool. and Sam, you know, has enough experience, you know, to know what he likes, what he doesn't like. So we would change things according to what Sam wanted. But once we got to it, you know, that's what we stuck with on the day. And that's why the action looks different than most action. It is definitely different. Yeah. Today. Yeah. It really pulls you in. Um, it, 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 yeah, you definitely can see that experience coming out and seeing that, that difference. Um, Chris, so pulling out a little bit from the Hollywood film scene, uh, you've actually been on American Ninja Warrior. And yeah. how, tell, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so I was, uh, so I did American Ninja Warrior 2013, 2014, 2015. I did best on uh, 2013. Cool. And uh, getting on for the that my first season there was uh, one of those life experiences that really showed me that I could do more, hmm. that more was possible. Basically, I'd set the goal like I'm going to get on American Ninja Warrior and I started training and I had no idea if I was, but like I, I basically, I trained every day. Um, I worked out for two, three hours every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I submitted, you know, my, uh, my audition thing and I, and I ended up getting it. And that really showed wow. me like, cause I didn't know anybody in my, my town that had yeah. ever done anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it kind of showed me like, yeah, I can, I can do stuff if I just put my mind to it. Wow. And I finished in the, I think I was eight that season. Like I was, wow. I got eighth farthest. I don't know. Yeah. I went to finals in Vegas or whatever. The next year I didn't train very hard. And the year after that, uh, I fell on like the second obstacle. Oh man. Uh, but I, I, my heart really wasn't in it at those times. It was more oh, interesting. the stunts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's just such a cool part of your journey. And I mean, to see, cause certainly, yeah, someone that does stunts is, I mean, American Ninja Warriors, like a prime opportunity to really show that and really have some yeah. cool, cool obstacles to get through and climbing and all of that just yeah. kind of comes together in a, a pretty cool 
uh, way on television for people to oh, for probably sure. get people into that world of seeing like someone that's really talented at stunts. Like what can they, what can they do? Yeah. Jesse Graff is uh she's a stunt woman and she crushes it on American mm. Ninja Warrior. Wow. Well, so Chris, as we start to kind of wrap up here, one of the things we just wanted to get into is with Cody and I, you know, we're filmmakers, we're the outbound life. And this is about content creation. But beyond that, it's about a philosophy. It's about a way that we personally try to live our lives by. And one of those core uh, principles is live beyond your limits. You know, we see it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in life right now. There's these obstacles that we're always trying to push beyond. And as we're as we're growing into who we have the potential to become. So I want to ask you, and this can be something, uh, you know, a physical obstacle, and it might very well be you do stunt work and you're, you're jumping out windows, but what's, uh, what's a large obstacle that you've had to face, let's say in the last year? Hmm. In the last year, big obstacle. Um, I think for me, right now at this point in my life is just finding balance, mm-hmm. uh, balance between my professional life and my, my family life, you know, like, uh, if, uh, <laughs> I can travel a lot yeah. for this job and it can be pretty taxing. Even when I'm home, I can be working 12, 14, 15 hour days, you know? So finding balance has been my challenge this year. And I think that, um, I'm, getting to a, getting to a better place there. Yeah. 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 Well, that's just, it's such a different lifestyle than, you know, what most would think of or probably what you grew up seeing your parents do or even friends do and define balance in that is you're, you're creating it yourself. And now you're, you're meeting new people that do a same profession as you and probably learning from them to see what yeah, like, I mean, to you, family is important and balancing that out is extremely important. Well, something even on that that I want to touch on, and actually it's funny how it kind of ties back into the story, but I remember, man, whenever that was six years ago when we were on that Chicago set, probably 2 a.m. and we're talking to, you know, Chris, you and different people on that set. I remember we had talked to uh, somebody named Parker Walbeck and uh, at that time was really on on board with Devin and, and growing that channel, but he really laid it out straight to us as far as, I mean, these were people at the time living the dream, right? Traveling the world, doing these commercials for all these people doing, you know, they did a Super Bowl commercial. They're doing the coolest stuff you could imagine. And yet Parker's like, guys, I want you to, yeah, chase your dreams. And this is big, but I also want you to understand the cost of this, of guys, I'm, I'm going off of three sleep, three hours of sleep. It's 2 a.m. I'm going to wake up early, get on a plane, get my laptop out, start editing, I'm barely home. I haven't seen my family. I can't date right now. Like he, he listed out, you know, the big picture of like, I think oftentimes we see that tip of the iceberg. So it is, um, you know, it, it's, it's good to, if you're going to go some crazy way and chase your dreams, it's like, yeah, it, everything has a cost. You know, I think that's yeah. a, that's a normal concern, no matter what your job is, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, there's going to be things that like, for me, if I had a desk job, I might be home more with my family, but I would also be less pleasant as a person, I think. I just yeah. wouldn't be happy. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. costs to everything. Yeah. No, it's so true. And Chris, uh, just thank you for being open and jumping on here. It's definitely exciting for me to learn more about your story and hear some of these fun, just intricacies to your story and the path that you took. I mean, no one's path is ever the same 
these to get to something like this where you are in life there's no you know uh no no linear um, organized, way there no linear way to just to just pursue that yeah and yet true. you had the work ethic you had the drive you had the talent also to match it and you're having breakthrough and we're super um just thrilled to continue to watch you and hope you you know, have the best success and keep pushing. Don't kill yourself. And uh, yeah, beyond that, um, how, how can people follow along this journey and keep up with all the movies that you're in? Uh, I think my Instagram is probably the uh, the thing I keep up with most. It's just uh, chris.romrel. And that's it. That's me. Perfect. Cool. Well, people definitely make sure to check out Chris's Instagram. You'll find some really cool stuff on there. And uh, you can keep up with them as he goes through more production and, and uh, some of these movies do come out. Also check out Extraction. It was, it was awesome on Netflix. <laughs> Amazing. Um, beyond that. Yeah. Chris, thanks so much for your time, man. Thanks a ton. Hey, thanks for having me guys. Cool. A few closing thoughts, guys. First, we're so grateful you took the time to listen today. It really means a lot to us to be able to share our journey with you. Second, if you got any value or inspiration from this episode, please take a minute to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, remember, your story matters. So go for it today and live the outbound life.